John chapter 1. That's where we're going to begin this morning. And uh, the title of the message is, Jesus said, it is finished, not I am finished. He said, it is finished, not I am finished. John chapter 1. You know, I'll never forget a moment when I was a freshman in college, and um, it was in a psychology class, and it was not a big lecture hall. Uh, it was in a smaller classroom, and my teacher decided to take some liberty that just like, you know, you know when you're like hear, hearing something, and then it seems like time is standing still, starts to go really slow, and you can feel like you're blood beginning to boil, right? Like, like what you're hearing. Um, because my psychology teacher, well, he decided to actually categorize Jesus as delusional. Like Jesus was schizophrenic, right? So he's play acting this crazy thing. And that Jesus was leading the disciples. He was saying he was the way, the truth, and life. And he was leading them off the cliff. And oh, it was just some stupid illustration. And he said, it would be like someone saying there's a Martian outside from Mars. You know, you, someone makes such a claim, it's like they're, they're in an alternate reality. They're not in reality. It's like, I couldn't believe I was hearing this, you know. And I, and, um, and I, I had to say something, and I'm just, you know, my mind is like racing, you know. And, I, and then I remember the resurrection. I just remember, okay, the resurrection. Okay, the resurrection. I mean, that says it all, right? I mean, that's a demonstration that Jesus' claims are true. So long story short, I ended up raising my hand and saying, look, you know, someone who says there's a Martian outside, green Martian and stuff, obviously we think he's delusional. You open the door, though, and there's a green Martian, that person's not delusional, that person's in reality. And it's in a similar way, Jesus made radical claims, but he backed them up by his resurrection, demonstrating he's the Son of God, Right? And I got to tell you, I'm sure you could hear a pin drop in that, in that uh, classroom. But the resurrection of Jesus, I mean, what does it tell us? It tells us many things. It tells us his claims are true. And it also tells us that his death on the cross is the core solution for the breakdown of man. He is Savior. There is no other Savior. He's way ahead of the time. Jesus is way ahead of the time. He knows the brokenness of man. Of course, we live in a time more interdependent than ever before, and uh, we know there's breakdown. What does the future hold? Hey, the resurrection tells us Jesus holds the future. The resurrection says there's hope. He's coming again. He's going to establish his kingdom. But listen, it also tells us that he's hands-on in our life. I mean, it, it, it actually raises the question, how hands-on is he? Like, there's a big difference if you would say, well, the teacher is hands-on in my life, you know, mentoring, kind of overseeing, versus like to say, well, mom is hands-on in my life. Because one is observing your life, the other is actively participating. Like, really, how, how much is Jesus participating in your life? I mean, it's like, well, after the resurrection, we see Jesus revealing himself to Mary. And I just think it's such a moment, right? Bodily form, she clings to him. She knows, he knows her sorrow. He knows her disillusionment. He meets her right where she's at. And then Thomas, I mean, you know, he hears Thomas saying, I'm not going to believe until I handle the body of Jesus. We talked about this last week. 
Then eight days later, he appears to Thomas really personal. Hey, Thomas, like, here, I, I want you to handle my body, not to be unbelieving, but be believing. And then good old Pete. I mean, I love, and I say Pete, you know, Peter, of course, right? I just love Peter. I love them all. You know, Peter was one of the first followers of Jesus. He was there at the ground floor. He had a brother named Andrew. They were followers of John the Baptist. We'll talk about this in a little bit. And then it was Andrew who introduced uh, Peter to Jesus. And, um, and it was like, and then later the Lord called Peter, but he was on this unique process and unique like metamorphosis in his life that really speaks to the construction of the Lord in all of our lives. In fact, if you study his life, you just see the comprehensive work that Jesus is accomplishing in all of our lives that follow him. And it's like good old Pete when he gets to Jerusalem and he's like already said, I'm going to lay my life down for you. I love him so much. I mean, under a, a time of weakness, and no doubt he's physically exhausted as Jesus is arrested and he's following from afar. And you have this young woman who asks, hey, wait a second, you, you've been with Jesus. No, I haven't been with Jesus. No, wait, you're, you're a disciple of Jesus. No, I'm not a disciple. No, wait a second, you, you're, you've been with him. You're a disciple with him. And he says, and I'm not cussing, he says, God damn me if I'm lying. I mean, it's like, no, God judge me if I'm, it's like, oh my goodness, oh, Pete. And it says like he, and he caught the eye of our Lord. He wept bitterly. He repented, of course, and kind of speaks to the fact that I think there comes a time in all of our lives where we come into a greater recognition of the need we have for the Lord's redemption and His grace in our life. When we started to follow Jesus, did we really understand the extent of the need we had to be rescued? I didn't. I mean, I, I knew I needed to be rescued. Pete knew he needed to be rescued. And then under unique pressure and fear and peer pressure, he ends up, he didn't betray Jesus. He ends up denying Jesus. And then what happened after that? Well, after the resurrection, it tells us that Mary tells the disciples, well, actually, Jesus said, go tell the disciples. And he says, and tell Peter that I go before them in the Galilee, and there you shall see me. It's like, I'm going to meet them in the Galilee. What happened there was a beautiful restoration where Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Of course I love you. I love you. And it's like, okay, here's the thing, Pete. It's like, I want you to feed my lambs. It's like, love needs legs. I mean, love is not merely a sentiment. It is an action. So Pete, the rescue in your life, I love you, I'm after you, and the same is true with all of us. Now, do you love me? Not do you admire me. Of course we admire. It's like I've been thinking about this in my own life. Like if the Lord had asked me, Greg, do you love me? And here's my, my, my first response was, look, I'm in awe of you. But that's not the question, Greg. Do you love me? And love is not a sentiment. Well, I have sentiment towards our Lord. Can I hear an amen to that? That's a beautiful thing. We adore him. You know, it's like we're in awe of him. Can I hear an amen to that? It's like, I mean, all of that is so important. You know, do you love me? Because if you love me, then it has legs. 
It must turn into action. So Pete, what I need you to do is I need you to get back to Jerusalem. It's like, I, I, I'm not finished with you. It's like, I know like you were restricted by fear and you did crazy things. And fear is a major motivator, but love is even a greater motivator. I mean, you'll be willing to lay your life down. And we're going to get to this. And actually, the Lord said, Pete, you're going to have a second chance in this. I mean, you denied me in Jerusalem. I'm going to send you right back to Jerusalem. And it's like you're going to end up standing not before a young woman and kind of cringing at that whole dynamic as everybody's watching you. You're going to stand before the Sanhedrin itself. You're going to, you're going to boldly proclaim Jesus Christ. 3,000 Jews are going to come to faith in Jesus. I mean, 5,000 after the lame man was healed. It's like, Pete, it's like, I, I have not, I'm not finished with you. And he's not finished with any of us. And it's like, we need to get this. We need to understand, again, Jesus on the cross didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. He's not finished with any of us. Can I hear an amen to that? I love it. Hey, John chapter 1, check this out. Let's just get a running start. Let's talk about good old Pete. I love this. You know, beginning here in verse 35, we'll read it just in a second, but I mean, how old is Pete at this time? I don't know. I, I know, we know he's married. Um, you know, is he 19, 22 years of age? Could you imagine if you met a 19 or 22-year-old male today, okay? And they said, you know, I'm going to take a bus to New York. I'm going to take a bus to New York. I've been saving my money. I can't afford the flights. By the way, man, the flights these days are so expensive. Um, sorry about that. Trying to get to Florida, I'm like, oy vey. But it's like... Um, you know, and I'm going to take a bus because, you know, there's this meeting there and it's like a bunch of guys and we're going to, we're going to worship God and we're going to fast and pray. It's like, you, you work to like bus money and you're going to like schlep it all the way to New York. I mean, if you heard a 19-year-old, 22-year-old speaking in such terms, oh, thank God there's hope, you know? Thank God there's hope for the next generation. Here's what we got to understand. We pick it up with good old Pete. He has made his way 50 miles. He's walked 50 miles from the northern part of the Sea of Galilee all the way down the Jordan Valley. And the reason is, is because he's going out to hear the greatest prophet ever born of a woman. I mean, here's a faithful Jew. Here's a, here's a young man listening, like has a heart for the Lord God of Israel. He's going to... He's going to be discipled by the greatest rabbi that's ever been. The greatest rabbi king. Jesus will call him. I want you to follow me. You've been faithful to hear the prophet John. Awesome. I want you to be my disciple. Hands on, 24-7. Emulate what I do. I'm going to empower you. I got, I got this plan for you. And that's the case with, for all of us. But, I mean, this is the ground floor. When you look at verse 35, it says again, the next day John, John the Baptist, stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned and seeing them following him said, What do you seek? And they said, Rabbi, which is to say, translated teacher, where are you staying? And he he said, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with them that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was, 
What's the next word, you guys? Andrew, Simon, Shimon, which means to hear, Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah which is translated the Christ, the anointed one, the Davidic king, in verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, I love this, he said, you are Simon. It's a great name to hear. The son of Jonah, but you'll be called rock. You'll be called a stone. You know, it's not uncommon. You study the Bible, and we do, of course, for the Lord to change one's name. And it usually has to do with identity. It's like if I were to ask you, well, who are you? Seriously, what is is your core identity? Who who are you? I mean, it's like, you know, you get pulled over by a police officer. This happened to me recently. You get pulled over by a police officer. And it's like, you know, can I, and I know, I got to get my license and stuff. And so I got blue eyes and 5'11 and and, um, 185 pounds. That was the old days, you know, anyways, but it's still on there. And so, you know, it's like, okay, well, who are you? Well, there's your address, but there's a whole other identity, right? I mean, there was a metamorphosis that took place when we came to faith in Jesus, and a big one, it's a big, big one. And it's like, here you have the Lord actually says to good old Pete, Pete, I'm going to call you a stone, a rock. Not a bad name, by the way, Shema, it's great to hear, Shema. Hear, O Israel, Lord our God, the Lord is one. But I'm going to call you a rock. And this is no doubt prophetic. I mean, when he called, like, Abram, Abraham, father of many nations, Sarah means my princess. But then, uh, you know, Sarai, then Sarah means mother of many nations. I'm going to change your name. Your name has to do with your identity. It's like, look, if there's going to be the right change in our life and direction for our life, seriously, are we going to live the fullness of God in our life? It all starts with identity. It starts with identity, then it leads to right thinking, and then right thinking le- leads to right path in our lives. It's like, who are you? Pete? I said, no, I'm going to prophesy over you. I'm going to give you a new name. And that is, you, you are rock. I mean that, and then Christ, when we come to the Lord, it's like we are a new creation. He begins a good work. He is going to complete Romans 8 says we're essentially between being justified and glorified. His objective is to conform us more like Jesus. But it's like we got a brand new identity here. Right off the bat, it's an identity issue. Listen, I'm going to impact who you are on a core level. I'm going to give you a new name. And the next scene is, it's like takes place on the north of the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus spends... Most of his time actually in the north, in a place called Capernaum, and it's adjacent to the main highway of the known world that connects Persia to Egypt. So it's like where he is spending his public ministry, it's in a town of a few thousand, but it's on a main highway. It's almost like the 5 freeway or the 405 freeway of the ancient world. So you have people coming from like modern-day Iran all the way to Egypt, no doubt, when Abraham came into the promised land, this is how actually he made his way. And this is where the Lord sets up tents, so to speak, to disciple his disciples and then ultimately go to Jerusalem to give his life. But it's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. After 
Peter meets Jesus, that Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of, can someone tell me, men. Wow, that's okay. New identity and new purpose. It's a new identity, new purpose. Pete, this is where you're headed. And it's going to take a while to get there. But, but it's like I've given you a new name. We have new name in Christ. We're called children of God. That is our identity. We're loved. We're empowered. We're purpose. He's begun a good work. He's going to complete it. I love it. And then it's in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Just quickly here, where, you know, you have a storm. And if we could turn on the air, that would be great. Um, you have the storm, and Jesus walks on the water. And um, to the disciples with Peter asking for permission to walk on the water. You remember that story, right? And then you have, of course, uh, a period of time where the crowds begin to dissipate. And and it's John 666, interestingly. And Jesus said, are are you guys going to go as well? And Peter said, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Where would we go? That was good, good old Pete. And then recorded in Matthew 16, Jesus leads the disciples to the north and asks, who do men say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And it's Pete who says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, that's a good job, Pete. And the Lord answers, hey, Pete, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. The next scene, interestingly, right after that, Jesus talks about going to Jerusalem and giving his life and being crucified, and then raised on the third day. And who rebukes Jesus for this? It's good old Pete. You say, wait, time out for a second. got to understand, this is a a Jewish man who believes in the hope of Israel to impact the entire world. He believes in salvation, renewal. He believes uh, in a world where the poor are respected, where there's impartiality, there's right, judgment and justice, like for all, literally. He believes in wholeness and healing. He believes it's through his country and one Israelite, Israelite, descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is the Davidic king. It's like this beautiful, beautiful vision. And he's following Jesus. Oh my goodness gracious, Jesus is raising the dead and he's walking on the water. I mean, you talk about a candidate to be Messiah. I love it. I'm going to go to Jerusalem with you. And I'm going to follow you. And I'm on the ground floor of this. So for Jesus to be talking about crucifixion, he's like, well, how do I wrap my mind around that? He rebukes Jesus for this. Jesus responds to him and says, get behind me, Satan. It's like, Pete, you just don't know what you're really saying. I mean, those ideas are are just not right ideas. i got to say, good old Pete takes it on the chin, man. Because it's like, um, get behind me, Satan. I mean, literally. I mean, you're t- I mean how, how do I process that? It's like, I mean, seriously, he could have time. I mean, you said this in front of all my peers. It takes some love to like, okay. <laughs> I was just course corrected, man. I, I was just contradicted. I'm going to get back up. I'm going to keep following you. I love Pete. He's just, do you mind me saying he's just a stud? I mean, come on, right? <laughs> Hey, listen, turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. I I love this picture. I mean, you have then this event, not not necessarily every single event I'm addressing in Peter's life, but now they're in the northern part. This is after this rebuke and course correction. And it says in verse 1, 
After six days, Matthew chapter 17. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them on a high mountain by themselves, clearly leaders among leaders, among the apostles, and he was transfigured before him, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared. Um, through a biblical, Hebraic, Jewish lens, of course, this is the context. This is not American history, this is Jewish history. For Moses to appear, I mean, you're talking about the one who embodied the rescue out of Israel. You're talking about the one to whom God gave the law that distinguishes Israel as a nation. You're talking about the one who's like God spoke to about the holy days and Passover, preview and prophecy, what Jesus accomplished, tabernacle. I mean, all these different things. No small thing. It doesn't get bigger than Moses. And then Elijah, well, Elijah embodies the, the law and the prophets. It's like the bookends of Judaism here. And what would Peter be thinking? I mean, man, bless, bless his heart. I mean, look at verse 4. This is what he's thinking. He says, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, let us make three, what's the next word, you guys? Tabernacles. I mean, that's a loaded idea. In other words, like, we're going to, do you want us to pitch a tent out here? I mean, Lord, is this the fulfillment of tabernacles? You dwelt with us in our transition from, the, uh, from Egypt, excuse me, into the promised land. You dwelt, tabernacled with us, fire by night, cloud by day, provided for us, tabernacles. The idea, take your children out, for seven days, all the, all the dads teach your children, you know, build a little booth outside, look through, see the stars, the creator of the universe has provided for us. He's faithful. He has a plan unfolding in and through Israel that ultimately it's like God's presence on planet earth, on steroids, in the kingdom. What good old Pete's thinking is, oh my goodness, it's being launched right now. I mean, his instincts are fantastic. Because sometimes Pete at this point is represented as a kind of a bumbler, like he didn't know what to say. Oh man, what do you... right instincts here, Pete. I mean, for Moses and Elijah to appear, you're thinking, oh my goodness gracious, it's happening. I mean, the kingdom is materializing on planet Earth. I love it. And Pete wrote about this. I think we have the Scripture on the screen. When he says, We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him, from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, and he's talking about what took place in the Mount of Transfiguration, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. I mean, this young Jewish follower of Jesus is pinning something so significant here that he's just he's saying, look, Greek, this isn't Greek mythology. This is not made up byproduct of imagination. We experienced it. I witness of it. I'll give my life for it. 
I mean, this is like major transition in history. And then Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. And hours before Nisan 14 Passover, Jesus instructs Peter. He instructs Peter and John to prepare the Passover Seder. When Jesus takes the place of a servant in prepping for the meal, he's like gets a towel and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And it's Peter who says, no, 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 no. No, 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 let's, let's switch roles here. I'll wash the feet. And the Lord says to him, Pete, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And good old Pete said, oh man, okay, whatever it takes, essentially. And after the Passover Seder, and I'd like for us to turn to Luke chapter 22. After the Passover Seder, things really begin to heat up in a big, big way. Because after the Seder where Jesus identifies himself as a chief figure in the unfolding plan of God, do this in remembrance of me. In Luke chapter 22, check it out here in verse 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will not deny me three times that you even know me. And then the Lord leads the disciples to the Gethsemane, which means oil pressed at the base of the Mount of Olives. He separates Peter, James, and John once again. He asks them to be watchful in prayer. Jesus takes a few steps away, and he falls on his face under radical dress, dress sweating drops of blood in prayer. If, if it's your will, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but your will be done. This cup, the new covenant of my blood, and he goes back, and, 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 the, and, and the young men are like asleep. I mean, it's been a radically stressful week, to say the very least. And, and then Jesus is arrested. You have Judas, who's led 600 soldiers. When they confront Jesus, it's like, you know, Jesus asks, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus. And he said, I am he. And 600 soldiers fell back, interestingly. But then eventually he submits to the arrest, and he's actually placed in chains. Our precious Lord is placed in chains. Peter is following from afar. And it's then that he is asked if he's a follower of Jesus. And it says in verse 61, the Lord, after his denial, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The Lord wasn't finished with Peter, and he's not finished with any of us here in Christ. And I'd like you to turn to John chapter 21. And let's just bring this home. I mean, this beautiful restoration. Now we're headed back north. We're headed to the Sea of Galilee, where actually they spent most of their time Remember Mark 16, 17, I 
mentioned it earlier, actually verse 7, go tell the disciples and Peter that he goes before you into the Galilee and there you shall see him. So now you have the disciples in the Galilee. They're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It says in verse 1, and after these things Jesus himself again showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. It's like, what? Well, they've been fishing all night. He actually, you know, makes an appeal. Have you caught anything? They haven't caught anything. Throw your net on the other side. They catch a bunch of fish. Um, he asks them if, they're, if they have food, if they're hungry. It's like, and Jesus is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he's preparing breakfast for them. And of course, to eat with someone is a super intimate, beautiful thing to do. It speaks of fellowship. And then, and then it just turns. I'm just giving a synopsis. Then it turns really personal to Pete in chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. And this is where the Lord asked Pete three times, do you love me? He said, well, what's going on here? Of course, he had denied the Lord three times. And we know that actually Jesus has already been with Peter, not only in the room, but he had met with Peter, on the day of resurrection, don't know the conversation, but this is different. What's happening here is that the Lord is restoring Peter publicly. I mean, earlier, we didn't even get into this, uh, I should have, but I mean, when, when, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he had told Pete, Peter, I'm giving you keys, keys to the kingdom, which carries the idea you got a unique call in your life. Keys unlock things, take new ground. And so it's like, have you done a good work in you? It's like you're between justification and glorification. I, I, your identity, you're a rock, your calling, I'm going to make you fishers of men. It's like the Lord is denying him publicly. It's like, what is his future? It's very important that there's public restoration here amidst the other men who are following Jesus as well. And this is what is taking place. Three times he asks him, do you love me? And, then, and Peter answers essentially, yes. We could get into it in a deep way, but we're just going to more surface level. But let's look at verse 15. He says, when he had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, then feed my lambs. And then he said again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he, and he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. And then he said a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I mean, what is going on here? I mean, point number one is, I think we put it up on the screen, but point number one is, look, love is not a sentiment. It is an action. And it's critical that we keep moving in love. Look, just think of this. Feed, look, feed my lambs. Uh, you know, when you, when you feed someone, you're nourishing them, right? That's actually a picture of love. The, in Ephesians 5, when it identifies how husbands are to love their wife, they are to love them in a way that nourishes them. So they 
grow to their full potential to the glory of God. I mean, you are nourishing. You are building up. That's others-oriented, right? I mean, you, to, to, to nourish. It's by nature. You're giving something. Feed my, feed my life. Pete, look. In other words, I, 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 want you to, I want you to get back to Jerusalem here. I want you to get back to Jerusalem and, and, I, and I want you to, I, I want, as an expression of, my, of your love for me, I, I want it to go horizontal. And that is, I want you to be a nourishing influence to your generation. I want you to build them up. Jeremiah 3.15 says, and, and, and we'll give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. I mean, a faithful shepherd, pastor, evangelist, whatever it may be, is going to feed and nourish people the Word of, of God. That is an act of being others-oriented. Get back to Jerusalem. Where you failed, I've given you a key. Pete, listen, I'm not finished with you. And the thing is, is that, watch, if, if you don't get this right, that now your worship of me, like you love me, and I'm not asking you to admire me and stuff, and you inspire I'm asking you, do you love me? Because love has legs, I mean, love is consummated, if you will, by action. Otherwise, it's just a sentiment. It needs to produce works. Get back to Jerusalem, Peter. Listen, I'm not, I mean, let, me, let me tell you what's going to happen. I mean, you want to fast forward. You're going to get back to Jerusalem. It's, you're going to get back to the city you denied me. I know it's painful. Why don't you step back because I love you and I've forgiven you and I'm not finished with you. You, you step into this by love and I'm going to give you a key that's going to unlock the door of 3,000 Jews coming to faith in Jesus. That's Pentecost. And then, hey, the next chapter, it's like you're going to be on the Temple Mount. You're going to say silver and gold we don't have, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That's going to attract the attention of those on the Temple Mount. You're going to have an opportunity to proclaim Christ a second time. 5,000 will come to faith in Jesus. It's like in some ways if we ask, okay, well, like if you look at Pete, if you get the identity issue right, because like we are, our identity is in relationship with God, and it's a love relationship. He first loved us, we respond in love to Him. You get that right, and then you keep moving in love. Man, look what can happen. I mean, for Pete, 3,000 came to faith. 5,000 came to faith. And listen, he ended up making an appeal in Acts chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. He told his generation... He said, you know, you need to convert. You need to return to the Lord. Because if you, if you do, even though the Messiah has been crucified, the Lord will send His Son back. There will be restoration of Israel. Yeah, the temple was destroyed. There will be a Dia Zipporah. You'll be outside your life. But the Lord will draw His people back to the land. There will be full restoration and Jesus will return. That's good old Pete talking there. And then you have in Acts chapter 8, he's unlocking the key there in Samaria. And then in Acts chapter 10, he's like conversing with the Roman centurion Cornelius and is seeing a work of God. And then in Acts chapter 15, I'm kind of going fast for you right now. Okay, but Acts chapter 15, hey, he's a part of a community of leaders there. And, and they're like making it very clear the conditions of a non-Jew coming to faith in, a, in the Jewish Messiah. How Jewish do you have to be? 
You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep the law in that way. It's like, so, I mean, he's a part of that conversation as well. And then we look here in verse 18 and 19. He ends up saying to Pete, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you're old, you, you, you'll stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. It's like, you know, Pete, it's like not everyone who follows Jesus is going to be a martyr. But I know your love is such you're willing to give your life if necessary. You're going to put truth first. You have a plan of God first, even before your own life. And it's like, well, Pete, let me just tell you, you're going to get a second chance. And church tradition tells us that our precious brother, Pete, was actually lifted up on the cross. He was, he was lifted up on the cross, but he didn't feel worthy to die upright. He was actually crucified upside down. And then they took his wife, and he kept saying to her, to crucify her as well, he kept saying to her, he kept saying, remember the Lord remember the Lord, remember the Lord. And it's like, well, it's okay. Well, the next scene is Pete turns around. He saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, this is John. And in verse 21, Peter seeing him said, but Lord, what about this man? What about this man? What, 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 what about his life? How is it going to unfold? And he says, if I will that he remain till I come, you know, what, what is that to you? Follow me. I mean, what does it tell us? It tells us the importance, this is point number two, that you know the Lord has given each one of us a lane. He wants us to keep in it. He wants us to keep our eyes on Him. And He wants us to run full throttle to His glory. Can I hear a big amen to that? It's like, hey Pete, don't, don't worry about like, you know, what I'm doing in other people's lives and be encouraged by what I'm doing. But I want you to keep in your own lane. I think one of the terrible breakdowns that is taking place mentally and in the hearts of so many today is we live in a comparing culture already, but when you add technology to it, it leads to a further sense of isolation. We live in a very comparing and competitive culture, and the Lord said, look, it's not wise to compare yourself with others. And it's like Pete's just saying, hey, uh, what about John? I mean, what's going to happen in his life? And the Lord's just basically saying, I want you to keep in your own lane, Pete. That's important for all of us to know. I want you to imagine just the Lord saying to you, do you love me? Do you love me? Have, have I won your heart? Again, he's not asking, do you admire me? Or are you in awe of me? Are you inspired by me? Do you like me? But do you love me? And we would all say, can I, yes, right? Yeah, we do. And he would say, okay, look, um, I, I want you to continue to get up and take an interest in other people. I want you to put legs to your faith because love has legs. It's like Jesus came, gave his life on the cross for us to receive God's love that we might live love. So Pete, it's like your future is not in the northern part of the, of the Sea of Galilee. Your future is to get outside of yourself, go back, 
and like serve the Lord and feed, nourish others. Hey, a key, by the way, of getting out of depression. It's like if you're down and Pete, I'm sure, was battling with all kinds of things, one of the surest way to know God's joy is like Jesus, others, and then yourself. I mean, just give your life away. There's someone on the other side of your trial and your pain that the Lord has for you to minister to. Can I hear a big amen to that? And for Pete, it's like, hey, Pete, you denied me in Jerusalem? Man, you got this nation that's falling apart. I want you to go back and feed my lambs and know that there's a second chance and there's hope and there's restoration in the Messiah. Go back. Take a stand. Make me known. But I got to tell you guys, let me share something with you. Honestly, there, there's a big battle today. We know it. And it's, I think it's been accelerated. You know, it's, it's really interesting. There, I was just thinking, you know, there used to be a time when we'd give altar calls and we'd say, hey, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe you're doing drugs. You know, it's like, you, you know, Lord's calling you, like, to turn from, like, smoking weed. It's like, well, like, we live in a generation that's legalized. It's like, whoa, how'd that happen? I mean, it's pharmakia. It's a type of sorcery. Altering your state of consciousness makes you vulnerable to outside influences that are not good. Not good to lose your mind. And then it used to be like, hey, you sleeping with your girlfriend or something? You got to repent, man. Come. I mean, repent of your sin. Follow Jesus Christ. Now it's like, it's, now it's like hey, um, now the issue is like the confusion. That was, it's not like, well, if I'm sleeping with my girlfriend or not, it's like it, this crazy darkness and confusion of, well, you know, maybe you're not a male and maybe you're not a female. And maybe it's like, now it's something totally different. It's like some parents are saying, I'm kind of relieved that my, my son is like at least, you know, dealing with sexual issues with the opposite sex rather than it's like thinking that he's a girl or something. And I'm not trying to be rude or ridiculous, but it's a whole, let me tell you something. What today's generation is like increasingly pre-Sinai. It's like getting back to Egypt. What the Gehenna? It's like forget, fly back to, from the Constitution. It's like pre-Sinai, pre-Egypt, pantheism, major relativism. It's like it's increasingly dark. That is just a reality. Here's the thing. There are, is darkness to mess with who you are, your identity. It's like the first objective of the Babylonians to these four young men, and we're talking about, of course, Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah. First thing they did is they, is they changed their name. It's like beautiful names. I mean, who named Daniel? God is my judge. Who named Hananiah? The Lord is gracious. That's what it means. Who named Mishael? Who is like the Lord? Azariah, the Lord is my helper. All these godly parents name their name. When they get to Babylon, it's like, no, what we're going to do is we're going to change your name because we want to impact your, your identity. We want to undermine it. And just know that is what's trying, that's what's taking place. And that's what the enemy wants to do in your life. But listen, what is our identity? We're sons and daughters of God. Can I hear a big amen to that? I mean, it's like we're loved, we're empowered, we're purposed. And the point is, is this point number three, we have it on the screen, is like, look, to courageously live today and communicate the truth, here's what we're going to have to get used to. We're going to have to get used to being comfortable with being uncomfortable. 
And that's what the Lord was really saying to good old Pete in a lot of ways. Pete, I want you to get up. I'm not finished with you. And it's like, I want you to put legs to your love. And I want you to step back into Jerusalem. But here's, here's the difference, and we're going to end with this. Point number four. The difference is, is that when you look at Pete's life, man, it comes down to the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He's a much different man, right? After the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Now he's in Jerusalem on fire. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, he leads 3,000 of his fellow Jewish countrymen to faith in Jesus Christ. And all of that to simply say, let's pray. Let's pray this morning for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's all stand, you guys. Let's pray. Let's pray together. And I don't know if you'd like to even lift your hands. Why not? Lord, we just thank you on the cross. You said it is finished. You paid the debt of our sin and power over sin. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. You didn't say I am finished, and we know that you're not finished. And um, Lord, sovereignly, providentially, we find ourselves where we are in this unique generation. And, and Lord, we want to step in to not only saying, it's like, yes, Lord, we love you. I love you. But in doing so, to get outside of ourselves, to be courageous, to love others, to serve others, to be courageous, to speak truth and embody truth. And uh, I just pray in Jesus' name, you would, Lord, would you work in such a way you would purge any form of hyper-individualism or isolation, which no doubt the enemy just capitalizes on. And that, Lord, as a church family, we would continue to grow together, move forward together. You've called us to be in one accord, just as the early church. And we want to be tuned up by the same realities. But, Lord, we just lift our hands to you not only in a place of awe and worship and love, but also, Lord, in a place of receptiveness. And I just ask in Jesus' name, would you fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit? Baptize us afresh with the Holy Spirit, Lord. Have, have our hearts afresh. Thank you that in the moment of conversion that we have all of you you want all of us. We know that's a process. But this, this morning, we step into our identity. And that is this love relationship. Thank you, we are loved by you. And in response, we love you. And in demonstrating that love, we, we step into this generation with courage, with love, with, with servanthood, with boldness. Uh, as your hands and feet. And I just want to pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that have yet to open their heart to you and embrace you as Lord and Savior. Let me just have a word, please, with you. And I just want you to know the Lord loves you with everything, enough not to leave you the way you are. Listen, the greatest sin in life is just the continual rejection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says all manner of sin will be forgiven except one, which is like, well, if you reject the antidote, the penicillin, if you will, there's, I mean, there's no hope. Jesus is Savior. And you were made by God, and He loves you, and He sent His Son to have relationship with you. Listen, 
The alternative to that is what? You know, we were a byproduct of mindless nature. We are nothing. We're headed nowhere. This is not true. God made us, created us. He's revealed Himself to us. He wants relationship with us. And Jesus is the answer to that. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except to be through me. You say, well, how does that take place? Well, it, it, it starts with like saying, Lord, I need you. I mean, I can't do it by myself. Just like good old Pete. I mean, I need your help in my life. And I need the help of God's Spirit in my life. I need relationship with Him. And number two, it really is recognizing He died on the cross and resurrected from the dead. And when He died, He paid the debt of your sin and mine. He died in our place. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Thank God for that. And Jesus said we need to repent. He said there's a broad way that leads to destruction. Many go that way. A narrow way that leads to eternal life. Few be that find it. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except to be through me, as I mentioned. So if you would like to open your heart to him, because he'll meet you right where you are. And you're ready to take your first step, turn from sin to the Lord that you might know forgiveness. Hey, listen, I would invite you to pray this prayer. and Because if you mean it, if you mean it, the Bible says those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. If you mean it, man, he will honor this cry, this prayer. So if that's you, pray with me at this time. And church family, if you'd like to join, that would be great. Lord Jesus, I call upon you now to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying for me and resurrecting from the dead. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a great Savior. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I turn to you now. Take my first step to follow you. Fill me with the life of God. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for making me your child both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.